Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm going to be your host for this episode. I'm here at our Aberdeen, North Carolina studio. I'm drinking my Black Rifle coffee and uh, I'm not drinking this. Let's, let's, let's have it be known that I'm not drinking this Wyoming whiskey that Eastman's Hunting Journal sent me, but uh, thank you, Eastman's. Um, we'll talk about the effects of alcohol on the body and, and how we're doing dry January over here. Wow. So February 1st is when I'll probably break into this. So so thank you so much, Eastman's. If you guys are wondering what this is on my coffee cup, if you guys are watching the video format, it's me drinking my uh, Black Rifle coffee from my Yeti, which is also sponsored by Eastman. So guys, that's that. I'm going to put this bottle down before I do break into it and uh, ruin my dry January streak. All right. So uh, today on this podcast, I got my good buddy, John. Uh, John has been working with us here at Fieldcraft East now for a little over a year. And uh, John and I have done a number of videos on like how to choose a, a sleeping pad, how to choose uh, a sleeping bag. You know, we've done a, a bunch of cool things like breakout and things like that. And a lot of people are like, who is John? You know, he he looks like I, I'm trying to think of one of the, the comments online. We'll talk about some of the fun comments oh, online. But uh, I'll, I'll say that he is not a cast member from Pineapple Express. He is not Kai the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. Smash, smash, smash. Although, <laughs> although, right? I mean, he may resemble him in certain ways. Uh, a lot cooler though, and not homicidal. Um, but guys, John has been working on us for a while, so I kind of want to bring him on the podcast, introduce him, kind of explain what you can learn from John, what he does behind the scenes, and then talk about a recent camping trip that we did in the colder weather. I won't say true winter camping, although it's New North Carolina winter, but we definitely tested some of our gear and uh, did the, the shakeout on John's property. So John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, let, let's just start from the very beginning. How did you get the job at Fieldcraft? Okay. So that one's kind of kind of an interesting one. So I was working at an outdoor store, kind of doing my thing. I'd, I'd gone to college and basically the year that I graduated college, like I graduated in December and then January is when all the COVID stuff hit. Mm -hmm. So my job offers were just kind of wiped off the table. Um, it was a lot of like in-store stuff because I was a marketing guy. So they were like, all right, job office is kind of off the table thing. So went back to the outdoor store, just kind of tried to make sense of everything that was happening. Hung out with my parents a lot. They're a little bit older. They've got a horse farm. So helped them out a little bit. I was getting a little bit bored just at the outdoor store. So I was uh, doing some gear sales, basically military stuff and then civilian stuff as well. Just being as close as we are to brag, we have a lot of access to that kind of stuff. And growing up, I always had buddies whose dads were into it. So I kind of mm -hmm. learned what stuff was good and bad as like I went along, you know, like, some guys would have like the brand new stuff that was super lightweight and packable. And then the other guys would have the Vietnam style bags. And I'd be like, okay, one of these is definitely superior to the other. Kind of started picking up on that a little bit. And then uh, I actually had some blower suits. So the big like fighting stuff that we use for personal security. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw Kevin posting a bunch of stuff using the suits. So I was like, hey, I have three of these sitting in my house, you know? <laughs> so I, I hit up Kevin on Instagram and I was like, hey, you know, are you interested in looking at any of these? He's like, come come to the shop. I was like, oh, sweet, heck yeah. So I drove down there and met Kevin and uh, we went through the, the bags in the parking lot. So, you know, not shady at all. And, like it and, doesn't no, look and, like and you never win negotiating with Kevin. Like he's like, I'll pay you this. And I'm like, okay, you'll pay me. Cool. Perfect. Sweet. All right. And then, so, uh, sold him those. And, uh, I had a range too. So with the whole horse farm thing, I was homeschooled growing up, 
had a big piece of property out there. It started out as like 250 acres, but parents kind of downsized as they got older to kind of be their retirement fund a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they got another piece of property out on Young's Road. It's about 35 minutes from here. So the other property was just sitting there chilling. So I figured, you know, let's make a range. Let's, let's do some outside stuff since we couldn't, you couldn't really do anything at the time. All the rock gyms were closed. All the regular gyms were closed. Just looking for outlets of stuff to do. So I made a shooting range out there and, and Kevin was talking about, hey, maybe we can have some of our, our firearms courses out there. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. So uh, him and Sean drove down one day, we looked at everything and, you know, Sean was like, it's not perfect, but it, it could be, you know, so let's, let's do this and that and kind of started to set that up. And we were just talking and then I, I got a call from Kevin one day and he was like, hey, I need you to, to come into the shop. I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, not really sure what's going on. So I pulled up and he was like, what, what'd you do in, uh, in college? I was like, oh, I was a marketing guy. I got a marketing degree. He's like, not really what we need, but do you want to come work for us? I was like, absolutely. Heck yeah. So um, kind of brought on as a marketing guy, but kind of ended up doing a little bit of everything. Right now, my main job is kind of like posting classes, mm -hmm. taking down classes, engaging with people. Um, started out taking a lot of pictures and stuff like that, but kind of ended up getting a little bit more bogged down on the back end. Let's let's go back and go into more detail on some of the stuff that you did. So you were working at downtown uh, sporting goods store that yep. we send people to in Southern Pines. It's yep. uh, River Jacks. Yep, absolutely. It's like um, one of the best as far as like this area. Um, you got a lot of REIs. It's um it's the only one of its kind, River Jacks. So you have a little bit more freedom to buy what you want. Like we mm -hmm. don't have to buy exactly what REI tells us to do. The buyers over there do a good job of getting a lot of a lot of different products. Yeah, you know, I first walked into that store the first time I came out here. Uh, I think it was April of last year, or maybe uh, November of twenty twenty one. I think was maybe the first time I came out here. But uh, I got the sense that it was independently owned. Which yes, absolutely. Compared to like an REI or an Eastern Mountain Sports or you know one of the big box stores, it seems like they have the ability to buy like very small quantities of stuff to satisfy the customers, as opposed to like, well, we have to carry exactly the same platform and, and display as every yeah. other store. Yeah. So you walk in there and you're like, okay, they've got Yetis. Uh, you walk in there and you're like, okay, they've got Patagonia, Arcteryx, like all the big names. Yep. And then you start noticing other other things in there like, okay, they're carrying not just like your the knives that you would expect, like multi-tools, but then there's custom knives in there. And yep. I mean, it's like this close to being a, to being a, uh, almost like a gun store without having guns. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yep. like it, you get that, that vibe that it's like an outfitter. Yes. Yes. As, as opposed so. to just let's sell a whole bunch of North Face backpacks to college kids. Yep. You know? Yeah, we used to we used to be an Orvis dealer back in the day too. And it really? Was, it was kind of unfortunate because basically fly fishing had a big downturn and then we got rid of all our Orvis stuff, canceled our Orvis account, and then it kind of started to pick back up again. And now it's like, now it's like the new thing. Yeah, I... I haven't had a chance yet to to go fishing out here. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So you got to point me in the spot. Oh, dude, I got yeah. a pond. It's, it's yeah, full I, of fish. I, I know. I know. And, <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, and we'll do cool. some fun stuff out there with uh, with doing like different types of like survival watercraft. And, yeah. And we we could have some fun. We should build a raft out there. Oh, dude, let's do it. Yeah. But, and see, and this is one of the reasons why I like John, by the way, because like we'll get to the camping trip that we recently did. But with John, there's maybe a millisecond of thought before he goes into like, yes, let's confirm that we are doing this. Um, and I've never had John say, not a good idea. We should not do that. It's not smart. It's not wise. So I'm excited that uh, that we'll do that. Heck yeah. But now you said you, you grew up on the horse farm mm -hmm. and you've got all this access to all this land. What was that like as a homeschool kid? Like, I'm sure the lessons weren't like you, you see a lot of homeschoolers like, okay, you're going to, you're going to be in the house and only in the house. Like, it seems like your parents wanted you to get outside and, and explore and, and find, yeah. find the world, so to speak. Yeah. And then they were busy too. You know, they had a, they had full-time jobs doing the horse stuff. It, it never ends. There's no Sundays you have off. They never stop eating, you know, they do their thing. So 
basically I was kind of left to my own devices a little bit. Um, I'd had mm-hmm. schoolwork first thing in the morning, but I was kind of driven when I was younger. I mean, I was just, I was into it. I wanted to get it done as fast as possible. So I used to always wake up at six o'clock on the dot. I would go ahead and knock my schoolwork out usually by about eight o'clock because it's mm-hmm. just one-on-one. I can just power through the lessons and then kind of started doing that. And then it basically, the the quicker I got done with my school, the more time I had to do whatever else I wanted to do. So I, that was the goal, minimize the amount of time I spent on schoolwork and then maximize the amount of time I had outside. So you got outside as soon as you got done with the work. Now, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is we've talked to people that are like, oh, I homeschool my kids. I homeschool my kids. You might be the first person I've had on the podcast who has actually been the product of homeschool. Yeah. So with that being said, what are some of the key takeaways as a homeschooled kid that you're like, that was awesome. My friends that were in public school, private school, they didn't get X, Y, Z. And then what are some of the things that maybe you're like, I wish I had this? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So um, I would say the first thing is I really realized that I I talked to only adults. So I developed a really good way of being able to talk to people and relate to people, not just like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Mind your own business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was able to like talk to the vets and the farriers and the people that we had come through like that. So I think that that really benefited the way that I was able to talk to people. You know, I can get along with people older than me, almost easier than my own age demographic a little bit. I really saw a benefit in that. The one downside I would say is um, when you're homeschooled, you kind of can do what you want to do. So like I would just do math longhanded. So I never used like a TI-84 or whatever. So when I got to college, they thought I basically slept through four years of high school and middle school and everything. So I'd ask a question like, hey, how do you get to like the second function? And the teacher would be like, I'm not teaching you that. Like you'll, you'll drop out of this class in a few days. Like I'm not dealing with you. Mm -hmm. So I had to really kind of fight my way through the first little bit of it. Cause I went, I went to kindergarten, I went to first grade and then I went to, I took the entire other time off. I went from second grade to college. Yeah. So 16 dual enrolled high school, college student, uh, went to the community college here, kind of started to meet people that way. I also, I played sports growing up, so I wasn't just like inside homeschooled kid that reads, you know, I really, I tried to fight the homeschooled brand a little bit because mm-hmm. I got a lot of negative connotations with it. Like, oh, you're homeschooled. You've got to be weird. Right. You right. know, so I had to prove to people, oh, I'm not a weirdo. Like, I'm totally normal. You know, you might be a little weird. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we yeah, all you, are. you hang out with us. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so you get outside, you start doing all this stuff. Uh, you start kind of experiencing the outdoors. You get to the the retail store mm-hmm. and then. One of the things that I think we we connect on is that like we both are nerds when it comes to technical specs, but like, you know, even more of the technical stuff than I do. You're like, I don't know about like, that. Oh, here's, here's this one jacket. And this year they used a special this and that. And I'm like, keep in mind, like the last exposure I had to a, an outdoor retail store working in one was 2003, 2004. But okay. like you were there not even five years ago. Yeah. Yep. You know, so you've got all the up to date stuff. Um, but I think that blends with our our teaching, like when we did the the winter uh, camping workshop. Yep. You had Brian Edwards, who's got, you know, the background of the military. Yeah. You've got Jerry and I who have the new England background as like traditional woodsman, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your technical climbing aspect. Yeah. When did you get into like the, the Alpine sports, the okay. climbing and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. So basically when I first started the outdoor store, um, I was already hiking and stuff like that. And it kind of was like the coolest thing you could do in the outdoor store was climb. Mm-hmm. So uh, instantly I was like, that's what I want to do. So um, started to, to branch out into that, started to go to the local rock gym, getting my feet wet a little bit. I thought I was scared of heights at first. It turns out like if if I have something to keep my mind busy, I'm not I'm not getting into my head as much. So I really took off with rock climbing. I loved it. I'm, I'm not a big gym guy. I can't sit in the gym and just do curls all day long. I get yeah. really bored. So it was a it was a physical and a mental thing both together. So I just I took off running with it. I absolutely loved it. Plus, I'm 
you know, 160 pounds soaking wet. So it's not hard to do pull-ups. Yeah. You're, you're built for rock climbing, yep. you know, as opposed to like my fat ass, that, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, we, we used to do the, the rock climbing thing in, in high school and I messed around with a little rock and ice back mm, in the day, Yep. but like, I never got into it with the passion that some of these guys get into it. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, like I lost, I, I like, I'm not going to be the cool guy and say, oh, I lost the edge, but I started thinking like, like if I fall and break my head, like, and I would wear a helmet. Yeah. But like if I fall and break my head or break my leg or whatever, I'm like, I won't be able to teach it. Like, yeah, I started like getting way too careful. Oh yeah. And you know? as soon as you do that, it's game over. Like exactly. it, it's, soon, it's like in anything else, as soon as you, like Kevin's saying, if you're parachuting and you're looking at the cactus and you're staring at the cactus, you're going to hit the cactus. Like right. if it's the thing you're, you're trying to avoid, it's going to be what you end up hitting. Have you ever had any like really bad whippers? Like, oh my God. Yeah. What's the one that stands out in your head? Um, So I had one in an inside gym where I was lead climbing and it was only about a 50 foot wall and I was clipping the very last clip and the guy that was belaying me thought for sure I had it because he had never seen me fall before. So he was out there just checked out doing his thing. And I, uh, I blew a foot at the very end. Like my foot completely popped off and I fell and the ropes coming out and the blue mats getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And as I accept the fact that all right, I'm, I'm hitting the ground. So as soon as I accept it, I get a snatch on my crotch and my harness catches and my feet just skim the bottom of the mat. So I was this close to just taking a decker like straight off the top. All right. So for the guys that, that don't know what lead climbing is versus top roping, right? Top roping, you have constant tension on your harness as yep. you're climbing, right? The the belayer is taking up the line as you go. But when you guys are lead climbing, you realize that you're carrying the rope up the route as you go and you're clipping into protection that's in the wall or you're placing protection in the wall. So let's say that you place a piece of protection, say 15 feet up and you climb to 20 feet, but you don't clip in there. You guys know that you fall from 20 feet to 15 to 10. Mm -hmm. So you're actually falling twice the distance. So yep. people will say like, oh, you know, oh, I want to rock climb. And it's like, okay, start off with top roping. And then I've, I know people who have taken some pretty bad whippers yeah. and they're like, I will never get back on there. Cause yeah. it's just, it's that sensation that you really are, are out there on a ledge or on a wall. And if you're not looking out for yourself or some people are like, yeah, you know, I, I was climbing and a piece of protection pulled out of, mm -hmm. like yep. you start getting into like these little chops. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's like how, cams. Yeah. How does yeah. that thing hold a 200 pound man? You know? Um, so you got into that and now you're just getting back into it, right? Like, yeah. did you go last night? Yeah, I went last night. So, um, basically my, my problem was I was too into it. I wanted to go all the time and I didn't pay enough attention to like nutrition and stuff like that. I thought I'll just climb hard all the time and I'll be fine. So I was pulling a two pulleys, like popping tendons, like once or twice a month and they take like six months to heal so i was doing all this different stuff to try to like make my body work and it was just kind of falling apart so i took a step back trying to reevaluate everything and took a more like i guess adult approach to it as opposed to mm -hmm. just being a kid like oh my body will heal it'll be fine it's like you got to do certain things to make yeah. sure you're good to go but yeah like the the whippers and stuff like that it's it's definitely a really weird sensation because it's like you're falling and you want to grab the rope, but you like, if you grab the rope, you can mess yourself up. If you put your feet on the wrong side of the rope, you can get inverted. And people are like, well, why wouldn't you just top rope all the time? Top roping is the bomb. I love it. I think, I think it's awesome. But the only downside to top roping is if you don't have like a cliff you can hike up to, put your rope up there and then drop the rope down. Like if you're adventure climbing, you're going to have to climb up. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's not, you can't go to Everest helicopter in set your rope and then just top rope the whole thing you know what i mean right right yeah there's there's some sketchy stuff that climbers do that i mean it, it's beyond my 
my level of, of nuts factor. You know what I mean? Like I can tell you that I don't have the cojones to do like, what does it call it? Like a, like a snow anchor where you, you, oh cut, my God, where yeah. you cut the anchor and you mm-hmm. lay the rope in that, like the giant, yeah. uh, like almost looks like a horseshoe. Yep. Exactly. Never doing that. Yeah. You just got to keep tension on it the whole time. You'll be fine. Pass. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get into that and then obviously working at Fieldcraft, you, you joined and you started doing like the, the, uh, not personal security with us, but like the role playing for breakout. Yeah. Yep. And you already had a lot of experience doing role playing and whatnot. So what, I don't think people realize that there is a, uh, there's a whole community down here that are professional role players for companies, um, that are contracted by various units. Yep. Absolutely. So can you kind of go into a little bit of that? background yeah yeah i gotta be a little bit careful understood but um but yeah so uh there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for that around here just with the the talent that we have over here next to brag Mm -hmm. um so i got into that basically kind of connection based uh you're supposed to be prior military and there's a big list of accomplishments you're supposed to have that just supposed to weed out the the bad people Mm -hmm. luckily i had two really really good recommendations so it kind of got me to the, the tip of that list and um, I mean, you, it's some fun, crazy stuff. I mean, you're, you're working with everything from dogs to trucks to the little, yeah, the little birds are landing right there. You're getting bang, They're throwing bangers in the room, like eight bangers a room. Like you just eat them. Like it's, it's definitely fun. Yeah. You get concussed a few times. Huh? Yeah. Oh, the, so the first, one of the first ones I ever did, like I'm sitting there, I'm talking to this guy in the corner and he, I'm like, I'm really nervous. Like I'm sitting there with my AK and I'm like ready to go and it blanks and everything, obviously. So I'm sitting there, I got my paintball mask and my Peltors and everything on. And I'm, I'm like really nervous. I hear a helicopter. I'm like, is that it, man? He's like, dude, like, first off, they're not even coming in on helicopters. They're walking in. You're not going to hear them. He's like, but second of all, they're going to turn the lights out. So you're, you're good. Just, just chill out. So I'm sitting at like this school desk and we're talking back and forth, doing our thing. And then all of a sudden it's just like, <laughs> all the air goes out of my lungs and it, the whole room, like the, the f- dust on the floor just rises. And I'm like, oh, that was the breach. They never turn the lights out. So like that was that was a really good one. I never expected a doorknob to go flying across the room quite that fast. Yeah, we we talk about how some of the best reps that you can get as someone who's interested in, in learning, whether it's tactics or defense, whatever, whatever buzzword you want to call it, are learned from being the bad guy. Yeah. Right. Because you get to to see from the other perspective how to exploit the good guy. And then you say to yourself, all right, if I were to change my viewpoint, my point of view, uh, I would do it this way. Yep. You know, but these guys, they're not making mistakes. Oh no. And they're, they're running at you full sprint. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Like at first I thought like going inside the doorway, like I played a lot of airsoft and stuff and with breakout, you know, it's a fatal funnel. I'm going to put my weapon at this door. And when you come in it, I'm going to chew you up basically. Mm-hmm. But if you come through that doorway fast enough and you spin quick enough, the amount of targets you have, it's like it's like when you see like a cheetah chasing a bunch of antelope and you can't pick which one he wants. It's like there's too many targets. And that split second that it takes your brain to go, okay, I have one, two, three, you're getting lit up by all three. Right. So it's right. it's really, it's one of those things where I was like, there's no way this is going to work. And then you see it and it's like, whoa, that worked. I knew it was going to happen. I was prepared for it. And there was not a dang thing I could do about it. Yeah, it's a it's a community that we uh, we're obviously going to support here in North Carolina. And, you know, every once in a while, those guys will come in. You know, we you never know who's going to be in your course. Uh, This past weekend, we had a guy who came in and he brought his son and the son was wearing the sweatshirt of the dad. And we're like, "Mm -hmm, we know exactly who you are. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, we noticed the haircut. We noticed the high speed gear. Yeah. And, you know, the kid's sweatshirt. We're like, awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So it's kind of cool that we're 
you know, we're, we're helping out that community. We're learning from that community. Uh, we tap into that community to bring mm-hmm. those guys out every once in a while. Um, so yeah, it's pretty awesome. Now let's, let's kind of shift focus here to some of the, the current interests. Okay. Now, the other thing you've, you migrated from like the outdoor retail store to knowing more about camouflage and more about like vests and, and load bearing equipment and stuff like that. Then I'm like, my head spin. Like, <laughs> yeah. right so you know, I, and I'm not going to go into like your personal inventory, but like you've got good connections with our friends over at Spiritus, yep. right? Like they're literally right down the road. Oh man. Yeah. And they, they hook it up. Like yeah. they, they, anything you need, they'll, they'll hook us up. That company, mm-hmm. I did not realize like just from the, the comments online, like, oh my God, you know, these guys, they, uh, they've got stuff. It's always selling out. Like I thought they were maybe producing like one <laughs> yeah. or two off. Yeah. We and took that tour the other day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like, and I've toured big textile companies like mm-hmm. Kafaru. Like mm-hmm. I, I've toured uh, Light Fighter. And when I saw Spiritus, I was like, oh my God. Like they have a whole building for R&D. Yep. They have, a, I mean, everything you could possibly imagine. And like the flow of the company, here's the design. Here's where we source the parts. Here are the semi-finished parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not producing one or two. And I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, I walked by bins of ready to go stuff that was on their website and I'm not going to count them in single units. I'm not going to count them in hundreds, but I'll say that there were dozens upon dozens yep. of, of things that I'm like, I've seen that on the website and it's right there. Yeah. So, I mean, you got in with those guys. They're good friends. Yep. Um, like, and you've got some stuff that you can't find. Now, where do you, for people that might be listening, where do you, if you're, if you get access to something, you're like, well, I'm never going to use this. I want to sell it. Like, where do you even sell this? Stuff? There have been a few times where I'm like, Hey John, I've got this. And you're like, oh, you could get like nine hundred dollars for that. I'm like, yeah. where? Yeah, you're talking about that Beyond jacket, or yeah, we yep. want, well, that or, or other stuff. Yeah, like where, like where's the usual market for buying surplus goods like that? Okay, or, or? So, so there's there's different ones. So like you've got like the the really high end stuff mm. that um that mostly will like it sounds kind of bad, but a lot of like Chinese buyers will look for. So eBay is the main one for that. You run into a lot of issues with ITAR though, so yeah. you wanna you wanna stay away from that. It'll bite you in the butt eventually. That's kind of the the higher end market of things. Um, you've got the low end side, which is like the surplus store. I try to kind of be somewhere in the middle of both of those. If when I, when I say like looking at stuff, it's weird because military stuff is really hard to tell because you can't something they'll have made a, a hundred million of, and then some will be like ten. So right. it's all just finding the niche items that you know work for you and stuff. And but. There's certain communities where you can find certain things. Like if you're looking for digital camos and stuff like that, you know, that certain uh, naval units use, I mean, mm-hmm. Virginia Beach. Like if you, that's where you'll find, I mean, you can go to like um, the Goodwills and stuff like that. So they'll drop off stuff at Goodwill. You know, there's, there's tons of ways to find it. You just, <laughs> that's, hold on, that just blows my mind that like, here's a guy that's wearing something probably on a raid somewhere overseas, like did, yep. did awesome stuff for America. And he's like, ah, I don't want it. I'm just going to give it to Goodwill. Honestly, I'd say it's even worse. It's their wives when they're on deployment. They're like, I'm going to take this big bag of stuff and give it away. And they'll just take it to Goodwill. Yeah. Damn. You'll see like Arcteryx polos in there and stuff. It's like oh. a $3 Arcteryx polo. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, there's that running joke. It's kind of like if I die, uh, don't tell my wife or my girlfriend what I paid for certain things. Yeah. You know, don't let her don't sell, let her sell it for what I said at, I paid any, for. Any yard sale, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, we'll talk about that on another podcast or a blog or something like how to prepare for your eventual <laughs> demise. Like imagine if you're like the kid of someone who has all this cool gear and then you find out that mom or dad or whoever, uh, you know, didn't have a plan for it. And now you see some schmuck running. <laughs> yeah. You know? yep. um, but 
You know, it's interesting when you said how you got to be careful shipping overseas. Mm-hmm. That alone is funny because there there are people that know all the tricks like i sold whether it was a hatchet or a, a knife or something to some guy overseas in europe and he goes when you put in the customs form put down garden supply and i'm mm-hmm. like this, this thing is not a garden yeah supply. he goes oh no no but if you put it there customs won't want to look at it. i'm like fine yeah maybe the guy is using it in the garden probably not yep but uh you know what are some of the other tricks like have you found any that help you send stuff I, so I don't mess around with it too much. Okay. I try to like, I'm one of those people where like, if I do something like that, it won't let me sleep at night. I'll be like, oh, am I going to, is that going to have like, and it's for me, it's just not worth it yeah. for stuff like that. So I'll usually just go the, 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 the ones I can sell it to them and feel good about. Like when yeah. I brought Kevin, the blower suits, it's yeah, kind of like that. Keep thing. it domestic. It's, exactly. Yeah. And then with all the new Venmo and PayPal stuff, it's like, man, I'm not trying to get that complicated on my taxes. Like, Yeah. I got, I got screwed. Last year, I was writing an article about a knife maker in England, mm-hmm. and I agreed to do the the article because I wanted the knife, and yeah. I was going to use the money that I got from the article to buy the knife. Well, the British pound <laughs> value increased and our dollar decreased. So by the time that the article came around and I had to buy the knife, I was spending way over budget. Yep. And I was like, son of a bitch. Like, you know, you can get screwed with with conversion. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you never know, like, if you're sending something to a foreign country, and like, like you said, like you'll get caught up because you're sending a weapon that's illegal there. Yeah, right. Like our laws, we take for granted. Oh yeah, um, what we can and cannot possess in foreign countries, like in in the UK, you can't have a lock back knife or any knife with a lock on it. Yeah. everything has to be a friction lock. So yeah, you can get into a lot of trouble. So uh, and even not even just weapons, like even like clothing. So yeah. Like, I mean, a pair of pants, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can get in a lot of trouble for that. Cause there's, there's a lot of stuff they put into that. And there's a lot of our competitors that are trying to, you yeah. know, if it costs a hundred million dollars to make it, it only costs 500 to steal it. You yeah. Know? They, they reverse engineer it. Exactly. Um, so recently, you know, kind of to shift around a little bit, you, uh, you sent me a message. And, and for people listening, you have to understand that like here at Fieldcraft, North Carolina, we have Kevin and Sean, we have Tula, we have myself, we have John, and then we have our contractors. We have mm-hmm. like Doc Mac, we got Jerry, you know, we got, we got some folks like that. So recently John was like, Hey, I want to go winter camping and I want to shake out some gear. And honestly, it takes about 30 seconds for me to see that message, reply mm-hmm. and send photos along the way. Like, what are we eating? You know, yep, what are we doing? Yep. So recently we went winter camping mm-hmm. and part of this, this podcast, I want to talk about some of the lessons learned from that winter camping trip, because both John and I have a lot of experience winter camping. Jerry has a lot of experience winter camping, but it seems like the first cold weather camping trip that you go on, there's always bugs to shake out. There's always dust to knock off. And even at the the camping seminar that we did, I said, guys, we got to get out of the habit of calling it winter camping and just call it cold weather camping. And we need to assume that we can experience cold weather any time of year. Yep. Because in the the high desert, you can have a 40 to 50 degree temperature swing throughout the day. So 70 degrees during the day and maybe at night it's 20. So guess what? You're in a cold weather camping scenario. So we went cold weather camping on your property and uh, Jerry and I messaged. I don't even know if you saw some of these messages. Jerry was like, I'm just going to pack up my bag and and carry this in and we're going to try to work out of our bags. So I'm going through the process right now of inventorying all my gear and I've got stuff yard sailed all over my, Mm -hmm. my place. So I throw some stuff in there and I'm like, all right, I think I'm good. And we go camping. And immediately one of the things that I was like, damn it, I didn't pack that. I didn't pack gloves that I could handle cold nylon with, Yep. which that is one of the coldest that your hands is ever mm-hmm. going to become when you're stuffing nylon or, or handling nylon. Even if you just have a thin layer of glove, like fleece gloves and like a fleece hat and maybe fleece socks, you're not really carrying a lot of weight, but you have the ability to insulate the body parts that get cold fast. And 
that was something I was like, damn it, I should have had those. Yeah. I had a little glove one too. I, I had these nice Arcteryx synthetic gloves and I was getting ready to, I was cooking a steak on the fire and I went to move something. I was getting ready to grab it. And Jerry looks at me and goes, are those synthetic? And yeah. I was like, I never even thought of that. Like, not only am I going to melt my $300 gloves, like I might get third degree burns from my $300 gloves. Yeah. Just, just not even thinking, you know? And then there are those gloves that have like that faux leather, which is still synthetic, yeah. which will melt. Yes. It feels like leather, but it doesn't respond to heat the way that actual leather does yeah and it's like by the time that stuff melts it's too like it's already burning you you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it's already goo <laughs> so what was one of the the takeaways that you had that that was the main one would be bring a pair of gloves that i could handle fire in and then another one to chill in kind of like one to swing an axe in one to do bushcrafting stuff and then one to kind of actually keep my hands warm so another takeaway for me uh you know you come and take a two-day survival class one of the things you will learn on a two-day survival class with me is we're going to bake bread Right. Mm-hmm. And we, we've been doing this for years and I love showing people it's like flour, baking uh, powder, salt and water, and then add whatever you want to it. And people know how to make bannock when they come to a class. Well, I was like, ah, we're going to make bannock by the fire. And I'm like, I'll use my titanium pot. Fancy. Fancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like super lightweight, bougie, whatever. So uh, I break out the titanium uh, pan and I put a whole bunch of butter in it because everything tastes better with butter. Same thing with bacon. Yep. But uh I, I break out the titanium pan. I go to do the fry bread in the pan and immediately that heat transfers way too hot, way too fast from the pan to the, the dough. And it takes the brown sugar that was in there and it coats the bottom of the pan or mm. the inside of the pan. I was like, damn it. So the first batch got screwed up. Jerry had a Dutch oven with him because he, as he's Jerry, he carries whatever <laughs> yeah, he wants in. Yeah. And we used the cast iron and we had no issues with anything sticking. But one thing that I forgot to bring was a spatula. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we could have made one, but it's so much easier just to pack like a, like a rubber scraper spatula. And that would have made life so much easier. So, uh, you know, you think when you go backpacking, oh, backpacking stove, titanium gear, great. But if you have to cook a different way, you might be screwed because you only have one method with you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, um, I was kind of in a weird transition too, because I've got a big rooftop tent, but I don't have a way to mount it to my vehicle right now. Cause I'm, Mm -hmm. I switched to a new, newer Tacoma. Um, and then I also have like a really small, really lightweight backpacking tent. And I was kind of just in between both of them. I was like, I'm just going to throw the pad from the rooftop tent on the ground and just sleep in my sleeping bag. But right. I'm thinking the next thing on my list is probably one of those 10 by 10 tarps that we were talking about. Yeah, the, other the light day. fighter guys. Yeah, they're they're just money. And a lot of my stuff is super bright colors. So I really like the OCP on that one. Just having it be a little bit more incognito than like, oh, hey, this is this lime green thing flapping in the wind. Yeah. And when we when we did the last course, we had a, a five by eight tarp set up. And we had a 10 by 10 tarp set up. And the five by eight is like you're barely surviving the night like mm. it's going to give you a little bit of protection overhead and it'll break up your silhouette if you if you're building a hide out of it but the 10 by 10 isn't just for sleeping it's actually living space yeah it's you nice know? like you can you can do things in there you can have an area for sleeping but you can have an area for doing projects and, and whatever else you're doing in there so uh and, it, and you can pitch it so many different ways if it's square Yep. You know, like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to get a, an eight by 10 or I'll get a 10 by 12. And they want these rectangles. Yeah. But the square tarp, you can set up as a diamond, a rectangle, uh, a lean to uh, an A-frame. Like there, there's so many more options with, with the square tarp. Yeah. And you, it's a little bit visually for me too, like at night and stuff with headlamps, it just having all the different sides, it's confusing. Having it, knowing that it's going to be exactly symmetrical on mm-hmm. all sides, it's, it's super easy. Yeah. And like, Kafaru is one of our, our industry partners, one of our good friends. And when you look at one of their shelters and you see all the different places that you got to stake things down, they actually will use different color paracord lanyards oh, on, the, smart. on the tie out 
uh, sections. So that lets you know, like, okay, I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with this temp peg on the orange. And then, you know, if you're staking out, say like the extremes, like the, the far end and the close end and the sides, maybe all those tabs are orange, you know, okay, yeah, because you have a million tabs on, on like a teepee shelf. Yeah. Um, what else did we, we encounter? That was like a, a good takeaway. Huh? I'm trying to think. Well, we were doing dry January. Yeah, so, so that was a little interesting. That's like my first time camping in a while, like without without stone an cold adult sober. beverage. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially winter camping. You know what I mean? A little like what we had the the first camping trip we were on. We had that Blantons. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> uh, they say alcohol. Oh, it warms me. It's going to keep me warm. I'm looking at this this whiskey bottle right now. This bourbon. And it says 114.8 proof, 57.4 percent alcohol. Um, yeah, alcohol will will make you feel warm but it actually lowers your body temperature um if you pull that thing up again we might have to break into it yeah seriously (laughs) seriously um so yeah we we didn't do any of that i know i didn't drink enough water yeah same here i didn't bring enough water so being as close as i was to my house i thought i don't really want to go back and resupply a whole bunch because i want to do a legit camp yeah so i literally just grabbed like two bottles of water and like before i was out there for an hour and a half it was all gone yeah, I think my favorite water container still to this day, and like on the company dollar, I bought a hydro flask. I bought one of those, the big, uh, or is it hydro flask, the big uh, collapsible? Bladder? Hydro pack. Hydro pack. Yep. Yeah, sorry. So I had a hydro pack that was like a two liter one, massive. And uh, I, I still don't like that as much as like a two liter bottle that I just rinse out and I put water in. Yep. You know what I mean? And like, I think if you're traveling to a cold area, you can carry a metal canteen. You can go to a local store, buy a couple smart water bottles, mm-hmm. and now you have your way of carrying extra water into the field or, yep. or whatever. Because um, that that bladder had like that plastic flavor, and I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to use this, put out the fire in the morning, and clean out my dishes. And if you guys are listening from Hydropack, mm, got to work on that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I definitely didn't drink enough water. Food wise, I think we were pretty good. Yep. You know, we, well, had, we, we had, had a lot. Work. <laughs> wood selection yes that was so it had just poured on us the the day before so everything was pretty soupy and mm-hmm. swampy yeah, yeah definitely uh the pine wasn't really doing it for us it, it would get it started but it would just it wouldn't it wouldn't burn long enough to get us any kind of decent coals or anything yeah and you know what's interesting when you guys camp with pine because it's a soft wood and it burns super hot with all that resin uh i mean you think you will have enough firewood you're like oh look at this big pile and it's gone you like know? yeah like a big pile of firewood's like 40 minutes if right. it's pine but we found i don't even know what hardwood that was but we found that horizontal tree yeah you know but that seemed to burn for a while yep because it was a good hardwood um jerry took his knife and he found a stump that you had remember i tried putting my, my hatchet into <laughs> yeah. it yeah and i mean guys i was using my winkler camp axe and i go to swing it into into the log and it bounced <laughs> yeah it made like a thud like don't yeah, and I, and I look at Jerry, and he's looking at me. He's like, "Kev, I know you're not a slouch. Like, mm. like, come on, put it in there." And I was like, "Watch!" And I swung it even harder, and yep. it still bounced. Yeah, and basically that whole stump was all resin. Mm-hmm. Which I think here's a camping mistake people make: if you try chopping through resin uh, with certain knives, you will break that. When, when resin, you'll break the edge. When resin solidifies and almost petrifies like a rock yes and especially you, that that pine sap yeah oh my god it's yeah. it is a rock so the the saving grace for us the tool that i use more than anything else was that folding saw yeah you yep. know and i mean we were using logs that were as big around as this tumbler 
and sawing through it with a folding saw that was no more than 12 inches. Yep. You know, so I would tell anyone, like, if you guys are serious about winter camping or cold weather camping, you got to include a saw. I know it's sexy to say, like, oh, I'm going to use my axe or whatever, but you save uh, the fuel by only creating sawdust and not wood chips. Yep. Huge, huge lesson right there. And safety too. I mm-hmm. mean, if we're, if you're at night swinging an ax around like a madman, <laughs> like you do that long enough, something's going to happen no matter how good you are. Yeah. Uh, clothing layers, I think overall, like your gloves worked mm-hmm. out fine. Uh, Jerry and I were both talking about having gear that we're going to just call campfire gear yep. where we don't care if it gets burnt at this point because we've had it for so long. And, you know, if you're out there with friends, you're not trying to impress anyone. Like, who cares what you look like if it's old surplus gear or or if it's got a few different holes in it from, uh, you know, getting embers in it before. Big deal. Yeah. You know? um, but we talked about a, an experience where, a, you know, someone we know was standing by a fire and they had nylon ski pants on and the, the fire burnt through the ski pants. Um, but people with wool were totally fine. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful. <laughs> you, uh, we talked about this one too. Some people want to warm up their feet through their boots next to a fire. Yeah. And I've melted boots. Yeah, I did too. I was talking about that in the winter, <laughs> the winter survival thing. It was a, it was a barrel, like a burn barrel fire. Yeah. So the outside of the barrel was like super duper hot. And I was just sitting up there. Oh, they're getting a little hot. And then I, I touched them to the ground and then they got really hot. And then I pulled my foot up and it looked like I stepped in gum. It was just the whole soul just detached. Yeah. The, the last time I burned through footwear was 2012. I was over my buddy's uh, house. My buddy, Todd Jensen, uh, Great grappler, by the way. If you guys are in Connecticut and you're in Tallinn, go to IPD uh, Defense. Awesome school. Uh, so I'm over Todd's and I've got a pair of sandals on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I if I had bare feet, my feet wouldn't have been so close to the, the burn barrel. Yeah. Right? So I've got sandals on and I've got my feet kind of like on a brick and facing the fire. <laughs> yep. And then Todd's like, what's that smell? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. And then I look at the bottom of my, my sandals and they were, they looked like, like slickers, like, yeah. like, like yeah. in, Indy car tires. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Like asphalt. It's like wet. It pretty yeah. much. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, guys, don't burn your clothes. Don't burn your footwear. Don't burn your feet. Don't burn your hands. Um, by the time you feel it, it might be too late. <laughs> so what, what's next for you? I mean, like, obviously we're, you're constantly posting courses. Yep. Um, I'm tr- trying to take as many as I possibly can. So yeah. I've basically been through all of the gunfighters, the med, I've still got to take a land nav though. So that's a Sunday. I know it's kind of one of those ones where like I've, I've had like a, like, I know that I need to practice a little bit more before I do it because yeah. my brain and just the way that I like, I get lost with the GPS. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I'm going somewhere, I plug into the GPS and if I miss a turn, I sit until the GPS tells me where to go again. Yeah. And I want to set up the day two land nav on your property. Yes. Let's because do Because you've got a lot of open areas where we can say, all right, you guys are going to provide your uh, direction that you're heading from say point a or starting point to waypoint a mm-hmm. and then you need to pace it out and guesstimate what the distance is yeah because that's a that's a lost skill like we can either measure distance we travel by time or pacing as human beings we don't have a, a natural odometer yep um but you've got the perfect property for that because you could send people through like open graphs mm-hmm. and then you can send them through the wood line and if you really want to screw with them you could send them through like the thick stuff yeah. that we have out here right? yeah um so i'd love to set that up out there um, but we got to get you get through that that first class first. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so that nav class, you know, I teach it. Kevin Owens teaches it. And, you know, 
what's interesting is Kevin obviously brings the perspective of like SF, right? Yeah. I bring the perspective of, of doing it as a civilian, you know, teaching at a civilian survival school. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin's got some really cool tricks that I'm going to adopt for this weekend where he will pull up on Google Maps, a terrain feature that's on our map mm-hmm. and show it from the 3D perspective of like, yeah. see that, see what you're looking at. What do you think it looks like? And students might say, oh, it's a plateau or, oh, it's a, it's a mountain peak or, oh, it's a saddle or, oh, it's a draw. And then he will pull up on Google Maps and hover over it from 3D perspective. And they're like, I know exactly what that looks like. Yeah. You know, it's not like when we're out in Utah and I can actually go outside of the classroom and be like, see that mountain over there. Yeah. Like here's pine trees, pine trees, pine trees. Yeah. 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 Good luck. Good luck (laughs) getting a vantage point out here. Yeah. I'm really, that's awesome. I'm really excited for that one. And then uh, we got ballistics coming up too. That's on Mm -hmm. the 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. 22nd. I can't wait for that one. That's like, I've been chomping I mean, with a bit. You're learning from a legend. Yeah. And you know I, I, mean? I, again, I will probably go out in the back and play with a Kestrel here in a little bit, just so I'm ready to hit the ground running for that one. Yeah. The same way that I can geek out when we talk about knives or we talk about, you know, eighties trivia, Kevin geeks out about Kestrels. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and he, he'll show you how to use that thing inside and out. And just his, his knowledge on this stuff. It's, it's hard to comprehend. So Jerry told a story the other day and I'll, I'll just paraphrase that story because I saw it. I was there in Utah when he did this. Um, you know, when we teach the two day ballistics course, Kevin does obviously day one and then day two students come out and now it's like, all right, let's apply what you did yesterday. Let's use your Kestrels Here's steel out to, I think we have, we're out to 980 yards out there. Okay. And the students get a chance and Kevin will say, all right, uh, what's your, what's your data? What, what's your hold at that distance? And the student will be like, oh, I'm supposed to do this, this, this. And then Kevin will be like, no, try this. I don't know, Kevin. Try it. They take the shot. Boom. You know? Yeah. And, and you're like, how did he know that? But I mean, he he's done it so many times. He just knows certain holds at certain distances for certain rounds and barrels and blocks. Like, his mind works differently. Yeah. You know? Agreed. So I'm, exci- <laughs> I'm excited for you to learn that. Because yep. when I was just telling you that, like, hey, by the way, you can do this. And the Kestrel works off of data in real time. You're like, no way. Like, yeah, I was trying to grab my head around. I was like, so how do you do the GPS on it? He's like, Dude, there's no GPS. Like, yeah. um, it, it's, pre- it's pretty incredible. I mean, if you guys are listening, get a Kestrel, get a, get a true muzzle velocity of a particular round, stick with that round, and you'll be freaking lethal with it. So uh, I, I know I've got a, a meeting pretty soon. Oh, yeah, but, how but are what we are, doing? Oh, we're, we're good. Okay. But uh, what are, what's something that we, we people should know about you that we haven't talked about? I don't know. That's a good one. I'm right? not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I've maybe something with breakout, maybe something to do with breakout. The op, I do the, a lot of the op four stuff for breakout. So. Yeah. Favorite breakout memory without giving out too much information. About oh breakout. man. Um, I'll do the one that was, uh, just as it was ending the okay. last one with yeah. Rick and his, his forehead. So, Oh God. Yeah. So we're, we're all done. Like just, just wrapped everything up. We, so as op four, I try to be as basically into the scenario as possible. I don't want to be taking showers the whole time, smelling all good, the whole, you know what I mean? I want to, I'm like yeah. kind of living with them. You try to hide the, the five guys burger. Yeah, yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm kind of doing all that stuff. So I get, I get a shower and some pizza in me and everybody's like, all right, we got to go make sure we didn't leave anything in the facility. So they all go back in and I'm like, everybody left and they, I just, no one called me out. I'm sitting on the chair. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just kind of park it for here for a second. Mm-hmm. So I'm hanging out, talking to my buddies. And then uh, all of a sudden Jerry comes in and I've never seen Jerry like rattled ever. Like he's very cool, calm, collected. He came in with his eyes like wide open the size of dinner plates. And I was like, what? He's like, I need that chair now. 
I was, here you go. And then Rick, um, Kirsten's husband, the, the bigger dude, he, yeah. he came through there and he's got, he's got his hand on his head and he comes through and it's just blood all down his hand. I'm like, dude, it's over. Like what happened? He's like, oh, I, I hit a pipe that I walked past 15 times already and just banged my head on it. But that was, that was one of my most favorite ones just because of how everybody snapped into their role instantly. Mm-hmm. Doc went and got him in the, into one of the rooms, treated him, stapled his head up. Jerry snapped into his, um, like police mode, like e- like not EMS, but like first responder yeah. mode. Yeah. It was really cool to see everybody just kind of hitting their stride in one like that. Yeah, and I will say, you know, selfishly, I had a role in there, right? Like I was the guy who said, this is bad. <laughs> I, I exercised, I showed a little bit of concern for about five seconds, which yep. I think is the minimum you're allowed or you're supposed to. But then I said, we got to take a photo and send it to Kirsten, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and then yeah. next thing you know, like uh, Rick is over there and he, he's kind of like giving the thumbs up and Doc is waiting yeah. with the staple gun. And and Kirsten, I think, just replied like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, because we're just guys are being guys or bros are being bros, right? And she'd already missed it. So she's probably pissed that she missed the yep. missed breakout. Yeah. So, so something, I know you didn't know what else people should know about you, but I'll mm. say this. Yeah. Uh, you got a lot of cool design stuff. Where can people go and find your designs on online oh. to find you and yeah. like the stuff that you're you're doing, like the the astronaut with the M4 and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So that's um that's my Instagram. It's uh, Gray Farm G R E Y underscore Farm. Um, just do I kind of keep it fun over there. I see a lot of like the firearm stuffs really you know flat rangey, really you know boring. I think I've seen it so long. Like I said, I've, I've been in this industry for a while with my buddies dads doing their thing so i kind of just try to change it up a little bit so i like to put fun colors in there wild music just, yeah just switch it up make it a little interesting so if you guys see some stuff on there not all of it serious like don't don't take it too seriously it's, it's a big big fun thing sounds good man well hey uh it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast i'm looking forward to go camping again Heck hopefully yeah. learn from the last time and uh only a few more days until Come yeah. Back into that why? Thing. Why do we do dry January? February is way, the, way shorter. Yeah, you were the one that brought it up. I was like, "Hey, what are we? What are we gonna have? Like, if you, you know, porters or whatever. You're like, dude, I'm doing dry January. I'm yeah, like, I guess I'm doing. It I had too. to get back right. You know what I mean? I, I noticed in like New Year's and Christmas and everything, I was just going a little bit too hard. So whenever I go too hard, I got to back off to to hit that middle ground. Sounds good, man. Well, hey, uh, let's finish this thing up. And I got to go do a meeting, and you got to go do a whole bunch of marketing stuff, and. That's that. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Fuel Crops for All podcast. Until next time, Kevin Estella, and uh, I don't know, leave them with leave them with something. Oh God, I don't know. Get, get training. Get, get training. Yeah, go out there and do it. Don't just talk about it. Yeah, get real training for real people. Heck all right, yeah. we're out of here. <laughs>